0: Because it needs to be said. It needs to be said in 2023. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you some things. I hope you have uh, your Bible and something to take notes with because I'm going to show you some things from the scripture. And we're going to talk about this. Um, about Today we're talking about the anointing and more specifically, uh, where the lack of the anointing. Why are we seeing a lack of the anointing in different places? We're dealing with it today. And it needs to be dealt with. Uh, it, it, it's, let me just start by saying this. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit is, outside of Christ being given, the greatest gift that we've been given as believers. Christ is the greatest gift that was ever given. But then even Christ said, I'm not done when I leave you. I'm not done when I ascend into heaven. I'm not done when I'm seated on a throne. I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but I'm going to send you another comforter. And that is the Holy Ghost. That's, that's what Jesus promised. I mean, if you go back and read through the gospel of John verses or chapters 14 through 16, he's teaching on the Holy Spirit that he would send to his people. Yes, he's leaving, but let me read it to you in John chapter 14 verses. um, Let me read verses 16 and 17. Listen to this. I, I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. He couldn't be in him yet because Jesus had not yet died and resurrected and given us the ability to become new creations. But he said, I'm going to send you another comforter. The prophecy that Joel gave, Peter preaches about it on the day of Pentecost. What does Peter say? This is Acts chapter 2 now, and starting with verse 14. Uh, He said, Peter stood with the eleven, lifted up his voice, and addressed them. Men of Judea, all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give ear to my words. These people aren't drunk, as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. I'll stop there. I could read the whole thing, but I want you to get this in your spirit. The Holy ghost is the greatest gift outside of Jesus that the church has been given think about it this is the same spirit that raised jesus christ up from the dead romans chapter 8 tells us verse 11 the same spirit the third person of the trinity that raised christ up from the dead that literally dwells in your physical body to the point where paul had to remind the church, the Corinthian church, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is what makes, Carolyn's wondering why I'm drinking a diet soda, though my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. But I want you to get this today. Listen to me. And I I have to do this rant because one of the things that's blowing my mind And I'm going to show you from scripture why God feels the way that he does, which is why it should irritate every Christian when there's no manifestation of God's anointing present in any place, in any church, in any service. There should, it should irritate the believer when there's no manifestation of God's presence in any church. And I'm going to show you this because the anointing is the greatest gift we have. Jesus literally died. Now think about this. Jesus literally died and rose again, rose again. For what purpose? Think about it. For what purpose? To redeem us and to make us new creations in Christ. To make us new people. To totally remove our sin make us a part of the family of God, the body of Christ to redeem us, but watch to do what make us new creations. Do you know you can't even be saved without the Holy spirit sealing your salvation? That's why. And the Bible teaches this. Every believer is the temple of the Holy spirit. If you don't have the Holy spirit dwelling in you, then you're not saved. I'm not talking about the secondary Uh, experience of the baptism of the Holy ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. I'm talking about your salvation. Every person that's saved has the Holy spirit sealing their salvation. But here's the thing, that anointing that dwells in people there, there are too many nowadays that want to push back and don't want the anointing of God manifesting in their presence. They're satisfied without the help of the Holy Spirit. I, I can't understand it. They're satisfied without the interaction of the Holy Spirit. They're satisfied without the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. I can't understand it. It makes no sense to me. And it, I'm going to say this, and I want you to put it in the comments. It makes God angry when people disregard the Holy Spirit. Put it in the comments. It makes God angry when people, especially churches, disregard the Holy Spirit. You've got to get this today. Please put it in the comments. Please put it in your notes. I will show it to you from the scripture. It makes God angry when people disregard the Holy Spirit. Say, well, God's a God of grace. He loves us no matter what. No, it angers him. Do you know, there are things that anger God. There are things, you know, people talk about the Holy Spirit like he's a cloud or an emotion or some ethereal being or or like like he's a, a dove or something. He's a person, the Bible says. And he has feelings. And he can be grieved. He can be grieved. The Bible teaches us. He can be grieved. It makes God angry when people disregard the Holy Spirit. And I want to show you that. First in an Old Testament context, and then we're going to bring it over into the New Testament context. God was so serious about the power of His Spirit in the Old Testament that people would literally die for violating that principle. People, their whole family, their whole lineage would be removed from God's service for ignoring the power of God's Spirit. That's how serious God was about this. Very serious about it. Because it makes God angry when people disregard the Holy Spirit. You can't do it. You can't do it. Look with me at, um, let's first look at 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2. Here's the story of the priest named Eli and his two, what the Bible calls, his two worthless sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Two worthless sons. And I want you to see why they're worthless. They took holy things and made them common. They took things that were holy unto God, specifically the offerings of God's people, and made them common, did not treat them as holy. Anything God ordains is holy. Think about that and put it in the comments. Anything God ordains is holy. The communion meal is holy. Anointing with oil is holy. The laying on of hands is holy. The preaching and teaching of the word is holy. The gathering of the saints is holy. All of these things that God ordains, they are holy. They're holy. And offerings, tithes, offerings, the things that we're commanded to do, they are holy. My tithes are holy. My offerings are holy unto God. Why? God ordained them. Anything God ordains is holy. So here's Eli's worthless sons. I'm going to start reading in verse 12. The actual heading of my ESV is Eli's worthless sons. (laughs) Get this verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The, The custom of the priests with the people Was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and all that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, give meat for the priest." to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, let him burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish, he would say, no, you must give it now. And if you don't give it, I'll take it by force. Thus, the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord. For the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. They're worthless men. They treated what was holy with contempt. God ordained those offerings, and offerings are holy unto God. They treated them as though they were common. And God, the Bible says, the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord. For the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Now, drop down. Eli rebukes his sons. But but notice this. If you go to verse... um, Let's go to verse 27. This is 1 Samuel 2, 27. Listen to how serious God takes this. The Bible says, And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father? When they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh, Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of of every offering of my people Israel. Now look at verse 30. It's very serious. Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promise that your house And the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. Far be it from me. Why? For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Now think about that because this is a a thought process that God, God does not change. Remember something. God does not change. Those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. That's a principle that we live by. We honor God in everything we do. And to remember that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, the Godhead. If you don't honor the Holy Spirit and his manifestations, you don't honor God. Wow. Anyone who does not honor the Holy Spirit and his manifestations are dishonoring God. I'm going to say that one more time. Put it in the comments. Put it in your notes. Anyone who does not honor the Holy Spirit and his manifestations, they are actively dishonoring God in heaven. Dangerous. It angers God. And I'm telling you, there's churches all over America that are doing this today that Not just America, Canada, Europe, all around the world that refuse to honor the Holy Spirit and his manifestations. And it angers God. He said, if you don't honor me, then you'll be lightly esteemed. Rejected. That's that's exactly what he did to those uh, young men. And Eli himself. Rejected. Rejected. Okay, go with me to 2 Samuel chapter 6. This is how serious God was about his anointing. You know this story very well because here's where King David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. He becomes king and he says, I'm not going to be the king of a nation with no anointing, let's go. He gathers the elite men and they go back to get the Ark of the Covenant to bring it back to Jerusalem, okay? So now what's happening? They're coming back to Jerusalem. And um, let's read verses 6 and 7. 2 Samuel 6, verses 6 and 7. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen had stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And God struck him down there Because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. Think about that. God was so serious about his anointing. He said, don't even make it common enough to touch with your human hands. And in fact, if you see why this happened, do you know why? Watch this now. This will blow your mind. Do you know why Uzzah died on that day? Yes, he touched the ark. But why did he touch the ark? Why does the Bible say he touched it? Because the oxen stumbled. You know what that means? They had placed the Ark of the Covenant on a cart and had an ox drag the cart on wheels. And because, I don't know if they hit some kind of pothole on the way to Jerusalem, but the cart shook, the oxen stumbled, and it looked like the Ark was going to fall down to the ground. So Uzzah reached out his hand and grabbed a hold of it and steadied it. This was already a disobedience to God's instruction. If you go back to the book of Numbers, chapter four, verses six and 15, you'll understand why this was wrong. Because the Ark of the Covenant was to never be put on a cart and dragged around on some little cart. God gave specific instruction as to how the Ark of the Covenant was to be moved It was to be have poles put through those carrying holes that were on the ark, and the poles were to be lifted up by men who would carry the ark on their shoulders. That's how God ordained the anointing to be carried on the shoulders of men and women. Yes, that's why that the anointing is not on something secondary in the New Testament. It's upon people. It comes upon people that they weren't supposed to touch it with their hands and they weren't supposed to put it on a cart. They were supposed to carry it on their shoulders with poles. Numbers chapter four, verses six and verse 15. And God gave them the warning and told them, if you don't do it the way I'm telling you, it's not gonna be good. Notice what he says. This is Numbers four, verses five and six. When the camp is to set out, Aaron and his sons shall go in and take down the veil of the screen and cover the ark of the testimony with it. And then they shall put on it a covering of goat skin. And spread on top of that a cloth of all blue. And shall put in its poles. Put in its poles. And all of the elements of the temple had poles. All of them. Now look, verse. go down to verse 15. The Bible says, uh, After the sons of Kola Kohath shall come to carry these, but they must not touch the holy things lest they die. So there it is. There it is. God warned them all ahead of time. Put the poles in. Don't carry all these holy things on your shoulders and do not touch them with your hands. They're not common. They're holy or you will die. And this is something that they did in 2 Samuel 6 that caused die. They weren't carrying the ark like it was holy. Watch this. I'm going to bring this in the New Testament. It's going to blow your mind. They treated what was holy like it was common. They treated what was holy like it was common. They didn't do what God said to do with it. Watch now. They thought they could just take The anointing, uh, effectively, the Ark of the Covenant was the anointing in the Old Testament. That's what God anointed. It would go out before them in battle, and God would defeat their enemies for them. It was effectively the representation of the anointing. They took the anointing, and they did what they wanted with it. And it made God so angry, he killed Uzzah right there, like he said he would, right next to the Ark. Let me say it again. They took the anointing, and they did whatever they wanted with it. If you haven't shared this, you need to share it with somebody because churches all over the world are doing this today and it's Bible prophecy. We know that, but you can't treat what's holy like it's common and you can't take what's holy and disregard it. You can't take what's holy and disregard it. This is what was happening here. And now we flip over into a New Testament context. You know, I'm not saying this. By any means, trust me, I'm not saying this by any means to talk about me or talk about our church or to brag on anything. I'm just telling you, I've traveled my whole life from church to church to church. I've been with my father, my mother when I was a child and a teenager. And then I've been in the ministry now for 21 years, 21 years. I've seen things all over the world. I've seen churches all over the United States and Canada and other countries. And I'm going to tell you something that will blow your mind. There are many churches that are doing the same thing in the New Testament that these men were doing in the Old Testament, disregarding the anointing of God, treating what's holy as though it's common. Church is not a common place. Church is not, uh, church is a holy place. The things we do at the house of God, it's holy. It's the anointing is holy. It's the greatest gift Christ could give the Holy Spirit. Christ sent us the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, who will abide with us forever. The greatest gift we could have, the Holy Spirit, outside of Jesus. And and people treat the Holy Spirit and his manifestations like they're common. Just like 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 they're nothing. As though they can take the Holy Spirit and then do whatever they want with him. Disregard him if they want. Well, this is not a Sunday for the Holy Spirit to move. Who are you to say? Who are you to say? And I'm going to tell you, this is what started to blow my mind. Of course, I've seen it. I've seen it all over the place. But to continue, I mean, when we launched the church, my eyes were opened even further because we had so many comments that came in. So many. I I was like baffled. It's like, these should not be the comments that I'm getting. Where people are saying, man, it's great to be in a church where the anointing flows. It's great to be in a church where the anointing is manifesting. It's great to be in a church where you can feel the anointing. And I think to myself, that should be all churches. That should be all churches. But for some reason, churches are disregarding the anointing of God. And again, I'm not doing this broadcast to talk more about Miracle or Church. I'm I'm doing it because it's a scriptural principle. And this is insane. Watch now. In the New Testament, the apostles command us, command us to not treat the anointing like this. So it's not just a suggestion. It's not something that we should somehow realize from the Old Testament. There are explicit, clear commands in the New Testament to churches to not treat the anointing like this. I'll give you, I'll give you them. First Thessalonians chapter five. Let's go there first. First Thessalonians chapter five. This is the closing of the letter that Paul is writing to the church the closing of the letter and he's giving these clear commands right before he ends his letter right before the end I'll start with verse 16 first Thessalonians 5 verse 16 rejoice always that's a command Veronica says, I was told to tone my worship down because there's always new people and they won't understand. They actually have, they had a meeting with her to tell her to tone her worship down. Tone your worship down. Oh, excuse me for being so thankful and excited about what the Lord's done in my life that I worship him with everything I've got. First Thessalonians 5, 16, rejoice always, always. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. 18. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now look at verse 19. This one is going to blow your mind. Are you ready for this? Verse 19, do not quench the spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. Do not quench the spirit. That's a command. That is a command. Now, now let me break this down for you. Because this is going to really, really open your eyes. It's going to open your eyes right here. If you've never made this connection before, get ready to make it now. This Greek word for quench that's here in 1 Thessalonians 5, it's the very same word Paul uses with the Ephesians when he's talking about the armor of God. And what does he say? Take up the shield of faith that can do what? Quench every fiery dart of the wicked one. Think about this now. Same word. It's the same action that you're doing. When you hold up the shield of faith, you are quenching, or one translation says, extinguishing every fiery dart of the wicked one. So when that's launched at you, those fiery attacks, those fiery darts, the shield of faith takes that fire and extinguishes it, puts it out, quenches it. That's what what the shield of faith does. On the other side of this, this is what the devil wants for you to do, to take the fire of the Holy Spirit that's ready to move and manifest and operate. And what the enemy wants churches to do is to extinguish and to quench the fire of the Holy Spirit look at this parallel same Greek word used in both passages do not quench the spirit don't extinguish the fire of the Holy Spirit that's a command that's not a suggestion that's an apostolic command apostolic command do not extinguish or quench or hinder the fire of the Holy Spirit The same way the shield of faith should quench, extinguish every fiery dart of the wicked one, you and I are commanded to never extinguish or quench the fire of the Holy Ghost. And I'm telling you right now, there are churches doing this all over the world, all over America, all over Canada, all over the world. They've extinguished the fire of the Holy Ghost. They have Go on to the next verse Very next verse, verse 20 Do not despise Prophecies Hmm Do not despise Prophecies I'll tell you That Greek word And I understand that there's a range of Of meaning that a Greek word can have But that word despise Means to treat with contempt to treat with contempt prophecies. There's people that look at the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, like speaking in tongues, like prophecies, like the working of miracles, like the laying on of hands, like the gifts of healing. They look at that and say, that's not necessary. Some people look at it and say, that's not for today. And that's a demonic mindset. That is anti-Christ, anti-God. And I don't care how much you want to wrap it up in traditional orthodoxy or religion. It is demons speaking. These are the people that Paul spoke about when he said in the last days there would be doctrines of devils. What do you think? You think the devil wants there to be the gifts of the spirit in manifestation in the church and in the world? No. So what, if you were the devil and your main tool was deception and lies, what would you have uh, people teach the church? That those things that bring freedom, that bring help, that bring deliverance, that bring healing, they're not for today. If I was the devil, that's what I would want pastors to teach in this generation. It is an anti-Christ, an anti-God Rhetoric. It's demonic. And Paul said there would be people who preach doctrines of demons. And there are people that you know their name. You know I don't come on here to to blow people's names up unless there's a specific teaching that I am uh, addressing. And then I'll mention the person that did the teaching. I'm not attacking them, but the teaching. But understand, I, I could mention names. And you'd know every name I mentioned. Popular people in our society that are telling people. That the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, the apostolic gifts, are not for today. They've come to an end. They've ceased. And if you see them, what looks like them in churches manifesting, that's a demonic deception. That's the devil, my friend. That is a demon spirit that inspires those thoughts. That's not the Holy Ghost. Show me one place in the Bible show me one place in context it's funny how all these people love to talk about biblical and scriptural context and it falls apart with this argument of cessationism which is the thought that the holy spirit doesn't operate like that anymore well after the church was formed and the the canon of scripture was given these things don't function the same way anymore no there's nowhere in the bible that says that would happen nowhere even the passage they try to use from first corinthians about tongues will cease and all that that's in heaven that's in heaven there's nowhere that shows us in the scripture that those things will cease before heaven you won't need to speak in tongues in heaven you won't need to have the working of miracles and the gifts of healing in heaven everything's perfect there there's no sin there's no sickness there's no demonic attack there's none of that it's perfect you don't need it when we need it is now we need it now And for these people to treat the Holy Spirit like he is, like he's retired, like he's been laid off. No, they believe that the Holy Spirit dwells in the believer. They believe that the Holy Spirit can do certain things, just not those things. Just not the gifts that he gave the church. It's foolishness. And it keeps people in bondage. It keeps people without help. Then they have to develop a theology. Well, you know... Uh, when people are sick and they don't get healed, God, ju- God doesn't do those things anymore. And so he just wants you to trust him uh, and, and believe him for strength because it shows you how to better put your trust in God when you go through that. Sickness. That's not the scriptural way. That was not what God did throughout all of the gospels, the book of Acts or the New Testament. No. At all. That's not even what we're supposed to do with the instruction we're given as the church. If people are sick, we're supposed to pray for them. Book of James, chapter five. That's not a localized command. That's a, why would God give it to us? That's not a localized instruction. It is a slap in the face to redemption It's a slap in the face to the Holy Spirit and the anointing of God, which is the most precious thing that we have. The most precious thing. They're treating the most precious thing that we have as though it doesn't exist. Treating it with contempt. And they're on the brink. Many of them are on the brink of blasphemy. Anytime you attribute the works of God to the devil, you are are blaspheming. That's what blasphemy is. It is when you attribute the works of God to the devil. So if you hear some uh, harebrained preacher telling people that if you hear people speaking in tongues, that's gibberish, that's just a demon spirit manifesting, that is blasphemy. If you hear some knob job preacher saying, well, if you hear about people getting healed in revival meetings and you hear about miracles happening, that's not God doing that, that's the devil. That's blasphemy. What would you like me to expand on? That's, that's what the whole broadcast is about. That's blasphemy. Because remember something, if, listen, if the devil could actually reproduce these miracles that Jesus and the apostles in the early church and that we still do today did, then why would Jesus, why would Jesus point to those healing miracles? As the proof that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. Because if the devil could reproduce them, they are no proof that he's the Messiah, the Son of God. But Jesus told John's disciples, go back and tell John the things you've seen and heard. And then pointed to his healing miracles, the blind see, the deaf hear. And I'm telling you, there are churches that treat the Holy Spirit like he's common. They reject him. The Bible says here, don't quench the spirit. Don't extinguish the moving and the working of the spirit. Oh, there's churches today. Go with me uh, quickly to 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Let me tell you, clearest passage about speaking in tongues in all the New Testament is, is 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And Paul says specifically what speaking in tongues is. It's not being able to speak some foreign language. It's not the Holy Ghost coming upon you and giving you the ability to speak German or Mandarin for the purpose of preaching the gospel in those countries. That's not what speaking in tongues is. And Paul is very clear about the fact that's not what it is. He says in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse two, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not unto men, but unto God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. Mysteries in the spirit. German is not mysteries in the spirit. Mandarin is not mysteries in the spirit. That's not what speaking in tongues is. Not only is that not what it is, it was, that was never an instruction given to believers anywhere in the New Testament. Anywhere you'll get filled with the Holy Ghost and you'll be able to speak in tongues and then you'll be able to evangelize anywhere and speak their language. That's never taught. In fact, even if you look at Acts chapter two, the Bible does not say that they were speaking that language. The Bible says that the crowd of people that had joined into Jerusalem for the, uh, the uh, Pentecost celebration heard the group speaking his language. Now think about what that means. It means that if I was from Germany I heard the 120 people speaking German. If I'm from China, I heard the 120 speaking Mandarin. They weren't speaking all these languages. The Bible says the people heard it in their language, but not all of them, because some said, these are just drunk. That means they heard gibberish. They heard gibberish. There were a portion of people that did not hear it in their language. They heard gibberish. Think about that for a minute. Yes, for everybody that's wondering in the comments, John 14, 12 means amount, not quality. Our miracles will be greater in quantity, not in quality. Greater in quantity, not in quality. Jesus only ministered for three and a half years. Many people have ministered for far longer. Greater in quantity, not quality. So here, Paul's giving them instruction on the Holy Spirit. And remember, this is specifically about within a church service, But he gets to the end, and what does he say? Verse 39, so my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. When? In a church service or assembly. That's the context. Of course, let me tell you, I'm as holy ghost as they come. I wouldn't allow at Miracle Word Church what they were doing at the Corinthian church. I wouldn't let 19 people jump up at one time and start giving a word in tongues. That's called chaos. That's why Paul's correcting it. These were immature believers. It's clear from his letters. You're infants. I have to give you the milk of the word, not the meat of the word. He tells them that very clearly. I wouldn't do the. I wouldn't even allow that at Miracle Word Church as the pastor, have 19 people jump up and start giving a word in tongues to the congregation all at the same time. That's not, that's not how the Holy Ghost works. Doesn't work like that. He said, let them go one at a time and no more than two or three. Why? There's, so there's not confusion. Let everything be done decently and in an order. But giving a word to the assembly in tongues is not the same thing as everybody praying in their prayer language. This is where many pa- pastors have an issue. Because Paul was very clear. He said, I pray in tongues more than all of you. More than all of you do. He wasn't against tongues. He was against disorder. That's what 1 Corinthians 14 is about. He's not speaking against the gifts of the Spirit. He's saying we need the gifts of the Spirit. I desire that all of you speak in tongues, but even more that you prophesy. When? In a church assembly. Why? Because if you prophesy, it's done in the known language of the people that are present, and they're immediately built up and encouraged by what's said. Whereas if you speak in tongues, then you've got to have an interpretation or no one will understand what is said. So Paul's not speaking against the manifestations of the spirit. He's speaking against disorder in the church. And then he finishes this portion by saying, earnestly desire to prophesy and don't forbid speaking in tongues. There are full gospel pastors all over this country who have forbidden speaking in tongues in their sanctuaries. I know it for a fact. I know the churches. I know the people. Shame on them. They'll stand before God one day and have to give an account. Dead, dry pastors with no anointing. I don't care how much money is in your bank account. I don't care if your church is debt-free. I don't care if you drive an Escalade. doesn't matter to me. Dead, dry, gone And you'll answer to God. Those pastors will stand before the Lord and he'll say, why did you disobey, blatantly disobey the thing Apostle Paul said not to do? Why did you tell people they couldn't come into your sanctuary and speak in tongues? I know it for a fact. I know where the churches are. They'll have to stand before God. That's blatant disrespect to the Holy Spirit and it's a blatant disregard for God's written word. Because the Holy Spirit inspired every word in this book. The Bible tells us so in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. All of God's word, all scripture is breathed out by God, Theonostos in the Greek. Breathed out of God's mouth. So when when you do that, number one, you are disregarding an instruction that came not from the Apostle Paul, from the Holy Ghost. Why don't you just slap him in the face and tell him, I'm not going to do what you say. And you'll stand before God because it is number one, if people, now watch, it's not that I'm quenching the Holy Spirit in my life. What if I'm quenching the Holy Spirit in someone else's life? If I'm a pastor and I am, can you imagine I come into my sanctuary and people are um, praying in tongues, they're speaking their prayer language. And I walk up to them and say, hey, stop that. No speaking in tongues in this church. No speaking in tongues in this church. I'm not quenching the Holy Spirit in my life. I'm quenching the Holy Spirit in their life. It's still the same thing. I'm still quenching. I'm still extinguishing the Holy Ghost and what he wants to do. Yeah. And it's a direct disobedience to the command of the Holy Ghost. Do not forbid speaking in tongues. Do not forbid speaking in tongues. And what else? We're we're called, as the first Thessalonians told us, we're not to, number one, quench the spirit. Number two, we're not to despise prophecies. And number three, we're not to forbid speaking in tongues. And I'm telling you right now, all over America, I watch, you know, I watch I'll check live streams out all over the country, and I'm sitting back thinking to myself, where is the moving of the Holy Spirit? Where's even the, where's even the openness to it? People come in, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm not talking about people that don't believe in this stuff. I'm talking about people like us that do believe in it. And I'll sit there and watch the live stream and think, to, I'm not saying that every time you come together has to be a, a some kind of a revival service that blows out and extends for seven weeks. I'm saying, why is there not even an attempt? Why is there no not even an attempt for the Holy Spirit to move? I look at churches today, and I'm, you know what's sad? I'll travel as an evangelist. I'll have pastors tell me this. You're the first evangelist we've had in years that gave an altar call for salvation. What? What? You didn't have an evangelist into your church. You had a traveling itinerant speaker, public speaker motivational speaker, but they weren't an evangelist because the evangelist goes after the lost. You're the first evangelist we've had in many years that's given an altar call for salvation. What? So what are they doing? What are they doing? Quenching the Holy Spirit. People waste their church services. They totally waste their church. I I look at some of these things people are preaching on at their church. I think, what's the point? I wouldn't even attend that. I I can't imagine. I can't imagine. And then, you know, do you have that little knowledge and revelation of God's word that you have to default to what everybody else is doing and turn your church to a church at the movies in the summertime so you can watch clips of secular movies and then say, you know what that reminds me of in the scripture? You have that little fire in your belly that you don't have a word from God for your church? That you have to use clips from secular movies? You know what I'll tell you I've noticed about the new Indiana Jones movie, it reminded me something of the scripture. It's like are you kidding me? No, no, no movement of the Holy Spirit, no manifestations of God's power, none. I watch these people, I'll get, and again, I understand that there's a place I teach. Teaching is good. We should have teaching of God's Word. It doesn't end at teaching. But I can tell you, there's a difference between somebody is, when somebody's teaching by the anointing, when somebody's preaching by the anointing, and when somebody's standing up there phoning it in, they've got no fire in their belly. If you can't tell when somebody's not operating in the power of the anointing, you need to get saved. You need to get saved. Because you can tell. Dead... These are full gospel churches, dead as 3 in the morning. I turn on, I want to vomit. I want to throw up all over my phone watching this stuff. Well, many am glad we came together tonight. Hey, we went a little bit long. Service has been going on for an hour and 19 minutes. Not your preaching, the whole service. An hour and 19 minutes. Well, I'm sorry we've gone a little long today. What are you you rushing off to? Where do you have to go? Some restaurant? You got something important? Meanwhile, our whole generation's going to hell and people are trying to rush in and out of church. We're not having a church like that in West Palm Beach. We're not having these little 65 minute services, run in and run out. You're never gonna hear me apologize to people, well, you know, we've been going for three hours, you know, I'm sorry we've kept you a little longer today. We're here until we're done. That's how it works. We're here until we're finished. I want the Holy Ghost. I want the power of God moving in our church. I want the power of God moving in my life, in your life, in your children, in your grandchildren. I want America to be shaken by God's power. Well we've gone a little long today, but how many know we don't normally go this long? like, where do you have to go? Phoning it in. There's people that sit there. They'll go to sporting events and sit for three and a half hours. They'll go to an NFL game. They'll go to an MLS game. They'll go to an MLB game. They'll go to a hockey game. They'll go to the movies and watch a three-hour movie and sit in their seat and hold their pee-pee because they don't want to miss one part of the storyline and their bladder's about to burst. People go to church. Man, we, we were in church almost two hours today. Yeah, because you need it. I need it. People sitting around up and back to the bathroom nine times. I've watched it. I've watched it. Trust me. I've traveled this nation. I've watched it. I've seen it. I have no desire. I want to vomit. I want to vomit. I I want nothing to do with that kind of Christianity. I want nothing. I don't want to even be associated with it. Nothing. No, there are no altar calls given for people to be saved. I give them if people are saved or not giving you the opportunity there's no when I grew up there was altar time we would come around the altar and pray pray minister to people pray for people we pray for people every week why people need prayer they need help they're believing for things they're believing for miracles we need the anointing we've got to have the anointing we've got to have the anointing of God This generation doesn't need a show. We don't need a presentation. I don't need a light show. I don't need entertained. I need to get in. You know, let me tell you something. Our team knows we're not up there to perform. You're not there to watch us sing. You're there to enter in. We're leading you into the presence of God to get into the power of God and to receive the anointing of God. Position my heart, Lord, to receive your word today. Position my heart to receive your word today. It's not not a performance. It's not entertainment. We're worshiping and praising God because God inhabits the praises of his people. And because of the fact that when we praise him, the spirit of heaviness lifts off. It's not just in Palm Beach, Orlando. I can tell you it's all over America. Sadly, it's all over Canada. It's all over Europe. I know, Erica, what is the point? Why People punch in their church card on Sunday morning for 65 minutes so they can run home to eat whatever lunch they have and watch whatever they've got on television. It's like, what's the, why, why? We need the manifestations and the power of the Holy Ghost. I refuse to treat him as though he's common. I understand the blessing of having the Holy Ghost move and manifest his presence then I, I, I watch these things, it's like they teach some message that's got no anointing, no power, not even any revelation. And there's like, let's just bow our heads to pray before we go to like, Okay, that, that was it. No prayer for anybody, no ministering to anybody, no altar call given for salvation, Nothing. So all we, we came to hear this speech that had no anointing, no power. Preaching and teaching are not an end unto themselves. They're a means to an end. And the end is the power of God operational in your life. And yes, being strengthened and being equipped and being matured in the faith is an end. Yes, that's true. But God doesn't just want us to come together, hear something, close in prayer, let's move on with our week. How many are glad, you know, that, that pastor didn't run too long today? Hallelujah. No, no, I'll joke about it sometimes because I can see people's faces. But I'm telling you right now, we need the power of the Holy Ghost. We need the power of the Holy Ghost like we've never needed it. People are bound. People are hurting. People are addicted. People don't know how to get out of the situations they're in. And I'll tell you something, there is no way out without the power of the Holy Ghost. People will die in their trespasses and in their sins. They will die in their addictions. They will die in the attack of the devil unless the power of the Holy Ghost brings deliverance to the captive. So if I were the the devil, you know what I would do? I would deceive people into believing that that stuff, if you see that happening now, that's a deception of the devil. That's a deception of the devil. Amen, Scott. Me too. I want to stay in the fire and the power of the Holy Ghost for the rest of my life. I have no desire for any of this other nonsense that's going on in our generation. None. None. And when I want to see, I want to see it so, so explosive that our kids are changed by it. Our grandkids are changed by it. That we see people shaken, people that others thought would never be saved, saved by the power of God, forgiven of every sin, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. And I think people have gotten lazy. They've coasted through their Christianity, which is a sign of the last days. The Bible says there would be people who have a form of godliness, but they would deny God's power. Very sad that that is something that would take place in the final moments of time. People that have a form of godliness. Let me read this. The Bible says, under this is 2 Timothy three by the way, understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Why? If you skip all the things, And come down to verse 5 for time. It says, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. There will be people that have the appearance or the form of godliness, but will deny its power. Here's the answer. From such, turn away. Have nothing to do with those types of people. That's where I'm at. Have nothing to do with those types of people. That treat the Holy Spirit like he's nothing. That treat him like he's common. That treat him like he's on, uh, he's been laid off. He's collecting unemployment in heaven. Unbelievable. And then they wonder why. People get mad at God and people get, you know, people get mad at God and then they get mad at the church and, you know, all this. It's like, are you serious? (laughs) Orlando said, I had a pastor tell me that, that the fire I have will die down. He said, 18 years later, I have more hunger and I want more of God's fire in my life. Of course, it gets greater and greater and greater. It gets greater and greater and greater. You know, spiritual hunger is different than natural hunger. And I'll tell you how. Spiritual hunger is actually the um, exact opposite in that with natural hunger, when you begin to eat, your hunger is You know, it dies down. Your hunger is is satiated. It's not the same in the Spirit of God. In the Spirit realm, the more you eat, the hungrier you get. The more you eat, the hungrier you get. The more you eat, the hungrier you get. The more you get into his presence. The more you get into his power. The more you get into his Word. The more you eat in the Spirit realm, the hungrier you get. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Glory to God. They'll be filled. The more you eat, the hungrier you get. The more you eat, the hungrier you get. It's not like the natural realm. The more you eat, the less hungry you are. No. The more... And I know you, you guys have had this happen to you. You've seen it. You've experienced it. The more of God's word you read, the hungrier you get to read the word. The more you pray, the hungrier you get to spend time in prayer, to spend time in God's presence. I'll tell you, there's been times where, you know, I know you can't fast for the rest of your life. You would die. But I'll tell you, there's times I've gotten into extended fasts and felt like I could stay here. You know, because if you've ever done extended fasts with us, and we're going to do more uh, coming up, but if you've ever done them, you'll know. You get to a certain place. The hunger's not what it used to be. You don't feel the same hunger in those extended fasts as you do at the beginning, unless you're just doing it in a way where your body's continually retaining calories and you stay hungry. But I'm talking about a full fast. You stay on it. You don't feel the same way. You don't feel the same way. And then you start to feel, you feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost because your flesh is subdued. Your spirit comes, you know, is, is allowed to, you know, you, you sense what's in your spirit. It's sad that many people have the Holy Ghost. They can never hear his voice because their flesh is so loud. And I believe this is what's happening. We've, we've become a very carnal fleshly church in America and around the world where people care more about natural fleshly things than they do the Holy Ghost and the word of God. That's very good. Marissa said, I heard John Bevere say that you determine your level of hunger for God and the clo- uh, and your closeness to God in your relationship with God. And I agree. The more you spend time with him, the more you want to. The more you read the word, the more you want to. The more you pray, the more you want to. It puts a fire in your belly. It puts a hunger in your spirit to do what you've never done before. And I'm just telling you right now, I'm giving you this as an encouragement, but as a warning. Don't allow yourself to ever become the person who treats the things of the Holy Spirit as though they're common. Uh, You know, (laughs) that's why when the Lord spoke to us and he spoke to me to raise up this church in West Palm Beach, he spoke to me to raise up an army of on fire people that will not bow their knee to the spirit of this world. That's what we're doing. I'm not, I have no desire to, to get together with a bunch of lukewarm people. I have no desire to get together with a bunch of people that are disinterested in the power of God. That's why if you watch us for any period of time, I preach a lot on the power of God. I preach on the power of the Holy Ghost, the dominion you have in the Holy Ghost, the new creation realities you have through the Holy Ghost, all of the things that have been afforded to us through redemption. I have no desire, none. To have a bunch of people gather that are just there for a quick entertainment, that are just there to punch their church card, they can find another dead church in town. I am there, and God's blessed us with those kinds of people. God has blessed us with those types of people that are hungry for a move of the Spirit, people that are strong in the Lord, that want more of God, people that want the Holy Ghost. That's what I want. That's what God's drawing to us, is people who are sick and tired of the deadness and the goofiness, the goofiness that goes on. As, as Orlando was saying, the doc, some of this doctrine that's being preached is so goofy. It's so weird. I want what the Word of God says. I want the power of the Holy Ghost operational in my life. That's what I want. I want to see God shake South Florida by His power. And we are seeing it, and we will see it at a greater level in Jesus' name. We're going to continue to claim it until it's done. God's going to allow us to see twelve thousand souls saved in South, in West Palm Beach, and that's a tithe of the city. And we won't stop until it's done. We won't stop until it's done. And you know, we're coming up this weekend. That's why we're not trying to do less. We're doing more. You say well, is it wasn't enough to do these. So, no, I'm not waiting until we get into the building. This Friday night starts. We got overflow. Our first overflow weekend. Throw the graphic up on the screen. Our very first overflow weekend, starting Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning. I'm not waiting until we get in the building to have these uh, types of services. We're going after it in Jesus' name. We're coming together to be touched by God's power. Amen. Coming together to be touched by God's power. We're not satisfied with anything less than God's best for us. Hallelujah. I said, hallelujah, and I am excited about what God's doing at Miracle Word Church. I'm very excited. I can tell you right now, I feel like running to see all the goodness of God that's been manifested already in four months. In four months, there's people that that mess with me. I I can't believe it. They can't can't believe what God's doing in this, this quick uh, period of time I had one person tell us no, I can't I would never even believe that you guys are a new church I couldn't believe it. I come to your church and see all that's happening I would never believe this is a new church feels like you guys have been doing this for a long time how quickly it's not me it's what God is doing it's not the team it's not me it's what the Holy Ghost is doing let, let me tell you the Holy Spirit is looking for a place to manifest his presence God's eyes are constantly searching the earth to see whose hearts are turned toward him, that are loyal to him. He's looking for a place to show himself strong and mighty on behalf of his children. All we're doing is saying, Lord, this is the place. You can find us here. This, we are those, we are that place. We are that place. Let your eyes find Miracle Word Church. Let your eyes find Miracle Word Church in South Florida. We are that place. You don't have to wonder, Lord. Our hearts are turned toward you. You don't have to wonder, Lord. We're on fire for you. We're loyal to you. We'll never quench the Holy Spirit. We will never despise prophecy. We'll never forbid speaking in tongues. We will never go away from laying our hands on people that need a touch. We will never forbid or or quench a mighty move of the Holy Ghost in our midst. That's not us. We are those that are not just open to the move of the Holy Spirit. We're seeking a move of the Holy Spirit. So Lord, you can find us. Your eyes have found us here. And he's already begun to show himself strong and mighty on our behalf. And I'm telling you, it's just the beginning. It's just the beginning of what God is doing. Just the beginning. And I'm I'm saying this again because it needs to be said. You need to share this because I'm telling you right now. It's an epidemic around this nation, other nations. What business do Holy Ghost people have? What business do Holy Ghost churches have? Having no Holy Ghost. They won't lay hands on people anymore. They don't want the mess. They won't pray for people to be baptized in the Holy Ghost anymore. They don't want the mess. You know why? People have bought into this lie. Now, I want you to hear this because I'm going to pray in a moment, but get this. People have bought into this lie that if you want to have a large and successful church in America, whatever, you have to do it in such a way where you remove anything that is, um, you know, and they would say the Holy Spirit's awkward, but anything that, that, that makes people uncomfortable, <laughs> they say, if you want to have a large, that's why you've got, it, it, just open your eyes and look, that's why you've got so many of these churches that used to be Holy Ghost on fire churches that have shifted To a seeker-sensitive model. Because they feel as though they've gone as far as they can go with the Holy Ghost way. And so now I've got to go to the the different model, the seeker-sensitive model, in order to have a large church. And I'm going to tell you it's a lie from the devil. It's a lie from the devil. You know, we're going to switch it up. People are so dumb that they think that what draws people to the church is whether or not you have a hip outfit on. They think that. What draws people to the church is if you've got a cool outfit. That's not what draws people. That's not what makes the Holy Ghost move. It's not what causes souls to be saved. I've always laughed at that foolishness. Well, you know, if I could just look more hip. (laughs) Well, you think people can't receive from you because you wear a tie? Well, this next generation is just not going to listen to you because you wear a tie. Oh, really? Because it's never stopped them from watching SportsCenter. It's never stopped any young person that loves sports from watching Sports Center. You know, I'd get those sports updates, but, you know, every time I turn SportsCenter on, those guys are in suits and ties. It never stopped anybody from watching SportsCenter. It's never stopped anybody from watching Jimmy Fallon. I would watch Jimmy Fallon, but, you know, he's always got a suit and tie on. It's never stopped them from that. so people are so foolish. They think the, th- the, thing that, the, the thing that draws people in, well, if we could be more hip, if my pastor could look more hip and talk more hip and be more hip. So much so that uh, Instagram satire accounts are now doing things to make fun of that thought process and they're Gen Z and they're making fun of it. The worship songs written with all the Gen Z slang and all that stuff. They're mocking it. It's not about whether or not you have a tie on. The Lord can anoint you just as much in jeans as he can in a suit and tie. It's not about the clothing. It's about do you have, Jesus didn't wear jeans or a suit and tie, wore a robe. He wore a robe. It's not about the clothes you've got on. It's do you have the fire of God burning in your spirit? Can you release the anointing of the Holy Ghost? Do you have something from God's word that will feed the heart and the soul of men, that will build their faith and encourage them to the next level to do what God's called them to do? Is there an anointing to break yokes of bondage? Is there an anointing to bring people out of captivity? Or is it just another dead congregation coming together to hear a 20-minute message no, no ministry to people, no prayer for people, no call, calling people to Christ, none of that. It's like, what are we doing? What are we doing? And I, I'm just gonna be, I'm gonna tell you this, I'm making a vow to God, I mean, I've made it years ago, but I'll do it again publicly. I'll never be that kind of a person that loses the fire of the Holy Ghost. I've seen it too much. I've watched people back away, some slowly, some very quickly from the mighty moving of the Holy Spirit. I've watched it. I've watched people back away. Well, we used to, you know, exactly Angie. They try everything but the Holy Spirit. Everything but the Holy Spirit. My pastor uh, here went to uh, be a part, another church invited him to come to one of their, they had a guest speaker conference, whatever. And they said, we've got a new format. We want you to really check it out. And uh, he went there and, and, you know, he said, he he went to lunch with him afterwards and the pastor said to to my pastor, so I'd love to know, what do you think of our new format? What do you think of our new way of doing things? What do you think of the way we run our services now? He said, don't ask me. You don't want me to tell you. No, no, we, we want to hear. We want to hear what you think about it. We want to know what you think about it. He said, well, if you really want to know, I have no idea what your worship team was singing about. Never heard them mention Jesus one time. There's no anointing flowing in the worship. The message was so short, I don't even know what he was preaching about. And I'm looking around, and there's no, I can't sense the power of the Holy Ghost at all. There's nothing going on in your church. Might as well just be another uh, gathering, some motivational speech. If you want to know what I truly think, there's no room for the Holy Ghost. You've scheduled everything in such a way, the Holy Ghost couldn't move if he wanted to move. Well, that's not the answer they wanted, but you shouldn't have asked him then. Don't ask me then if you don't want to hear my opinion. I don't have any desire for that. No desire. I want to see the power of God shake our nation before it's too late. You realize the one thing that would help people stay on fire, the one thing that would help people stay urgent is under no they didn't change Tanya not at all they were already a, a large church that think they know how to do everything and they didn't change one thing not one thing they're still just as dead as they could be and they don't think they are that's the thing they don't think they are they think oh we're we're on fire they're not i wouldn't go there if you paid me money i would not attend there for a paycheck sad it's very sad <laughs> and so I'm just telling you if people would understand this one thing it would put an urgency in their spirit it would keep them on fire that there is a time limit on the work we're doing the gospel is a limited time offer offer And I'll leave you with this before we pray. John 9, 4, Jesus said to his disciples, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is still daytime. For the night is coming where no man can work. Think about it. Think about it. Amen, Erica. There should be an urgency in all of us. That's right, Scott. Scott. We're going to have encounter after encounter in the name of Jesus, but notice that John nine, four, we must work the works of him who sent me. Jesus said, while it's still daytime for the night is coming. Now he said that 2000 years ago, how much closer do you think we are to the night that he spoke of in 2023? We'll just look all around you. Look at the signs of the times. Jesus said it'll be like it was in the days of Noah and, it, and, and just like it was in the days of Lot. Corruption, violence, and unbridled sexual perversion everywhere you look. It's here. It's here. Like you've never seen it before. It is here and happening. You don't, you don't think Christ's coming is soon? I'm telling you, it's soon. And the time's running out. And if people, people understood, we don't have time to sit around and play games lead these churches where nothing's happening and people aren't being touched and people remain in the same problems they've always been in. It's time to see a turnaround. It's time to see a turnaround. So I'm just going to tell you, while others are backing away from the Holy Ghost, I'm running further into the fire. I'm running further into the fire. In fact, everybody that's watching me right now, I want you to put it in the comments. I'm running further into the fire. Hallelujah. I'm running further into the fire. You know what was an interesting uh, portion of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to me is that the king thought he could throw them into the fire to kill them, not even recognizing the fact that when you're a follower of God, the fire is your friend. The fire is your friend. So what do you mean the fire is your friend? The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter six, our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. I'm running further into the fire. He threw them into the furnace thinking that the fire would kill them, not even recognizing that the fire is my friend. And when he looked in, expecting them to be burnt up to a crisp, they're standing there walking around. And there's not just the three, but there's a fourth man in the fire with them. In fact, the miracle that I want you to see is that though they were in the fire, the only thing that the fire consumed, get it in your heart, was their bonds. They tied them up and threw them into the furnace. The only thing the fire consumed was what restrained them, what, was, what restricted them. And I mean so much so that their clothes did not burn up or smell like smoke. Their hair did not burn up or smell like smoke. You understand, their sandals, whatever they had on them that was theirs, stayed intact. You know why? Because the fire is my friend. Hallelujah. I'm running further into the fire. I'm running further into the fire. Glory to God. And I'm telling you, we're going to see the best five months. And by the way, welcome to August. Welcome to August. We're going to see the best five months we've ever seen in the history of our lives in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Best five months we've ever seen by the power of the Holy Ghost. Father, I pray for every person watching, every person listening to me. And I ask you today, put that same urgency that Jesus put in his disciples spirit, put it into their spirit, put it into my spirit to a greater degree, a greater level. Father, give us a hunger and a desire to run further into the fire of the Holy Ghost. We want to see manifestation after manifestation. We want more of your word. We want more of your spirit. We want to experience more of your presence and manifestation. Do more for us in five months than we've ever had done for us in the history of our Christianity. Because this is our year of transformation. We declare it'll be the Lord's doing and marvelous in our eyes. It is marvelous in our eyes. And so, Lord, I pray that you'll do something so supernatural, even during this weekend of overflow weekend, that you will meet us at Miracle Word Church on Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning, do a supernatural thing among your people this weekend, Lord. Let it be a time of encounter with your presence that we leave totally changed. By the power of the Holy Ghost, we leave totally, totally changed, impacted, encouraged, built up, stirred up, healed. Deliver people, Lord, totally changed by the fire of your Holy Spirit. Let this overflow weekend be an encounter with the power of God. We expect to see it, Lord. We are hungry. We are hungry people. And your word promises us. That hungry, thirsty people are blessed and shall be filled. And so, Lord, we receive it. We're going to have it. And these next five months are going to blow our minds in the name of Jesus Christ. We declare it by faith and we thank you. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.